one thing I'm thinking about now, I can't get it off my mind now after Pastor Marvin's speaking during communion of wondering how they feel when I invite them to my house. Um, <laughs> just, just wondering what the conversation is when uh, Wendy and I invite them over. I'll leave that to them, though. Uh, I think, did I see Kevin and Danielle Christie this morning? They're there. Could you guys wave and say hello? Good to see you, Christies. For those of you that don't know, Kevin served as youth pastor and Danielle served as kids pastor uh, many years ago at Mount Hope, and uh, good to see you guys. How many years ago? Eight years ago. All right. There you go. Eight years ago. Glad to see you guys this morning visiting and grateful for your ministry here at Mount Hope in the past. Thankful for that. We are uh, in the last week of our I Follow Jesus series, and if you want to turn to Acts chapter 1, we'll be there in just a minute. This is the final week of our I Follow Jesus uh, series, which is really uh, a series on the Holy Spirit. Um, But it's I Follow Jesus, but usually I Follow Jesus. I guess this morning's would be I Follow Jesus, um, but how do I do my job, I guess. That might be it. I don't know. I didn't really come up with a question for this morning's, but you'll see where we're going. Uh, let me ask you, let me ask you this question, though, as I'm thinking, how many of you have ever felt like you were ready to move on to the next step with something, but someone else told you you're not ready? Anyone else been there? Yeah, felt like, yeah, there's several hands, right? Sometimes it's with sports. Maybe you play sports and you thought, I'm ready to start. I'm ready to, you know, look, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play center field, right? You're going to play. And the coach said, ah, maybe a few more games on the bench, and you didn't want to hear that. Or maybe it's school. Maybe you thought, hey, I'm ready for the AP classes. I'm ready for the honor classes. And you were ready, but the teachers wouldn't sign off, and they said, ah, not quite ready yet. Or maybe it's beyond that. It could be work situation. I think this happens a lot where you're in the workplace, and you're ready for the next promotion. Look, you've got all the qualifications, you've got everything in place, and you think, hey, I'm ready to move up to the next level, but then you've got a boss that says, "Uh, uh, uh, you need to wait. I think this happens to all of us, sometimes just when you're driving, right? You're driving, you're going someplace, you're ready to pull around that utility truck that's blocking half the road, and then a cop steps out and says, "Uh, uh, 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 not so fast. I wonder if this is how Jesus' disciples felt in Acts chapter 1, that they were ready to move on to the next step, but Jesus had some other words for them that maybe they weren't expecting to hear. They had been with Jesus for three years during his ministry. They had been trained by them. No one had a better evangelism and discipleship course than these guys. They were literally with Jesus for three years. They were ready for what's next. They had watched him uh, go to the cross and die, but they had also now, by the time we arrive at Acts 1, seen that he was resurrected and is alive again. And actually, by the time we get to Acts chapter 1, Jesus had been appearing and, and, and showing up in their lives for the past 40 days. So they must have thought, we're ready. We're ready for the next step ready to go and make disciples, which is one of the things Jesus had said would be their job. And then Jesus has some words for them that maybe they weren't expecting and weren't ready to hear. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 uh, says this, 
In the first book, O Theophilus, let me stop there for a second. So Luke is the author of Acts, and his first book is what we know as the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote to a young man named Theophilus to explain the life of Jesus. And his second book, uh, we call Acts, is really about the church. So in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to, and I want you to say this next word with me, wait, let's say it once more, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So they had come together, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then if you skip down to verse 12 to see the disciples' response to these words, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And then it lists the names of some of the people that were with them there. After being trained, after seeing Jesus crucified, after now seeing him raised again, I mean, this was the biggest I told you so moment anyone has ever had in the history of humanity, right? When Jesus raised from the dead, the disciples must have been like, told you we were right, told you we were right to follow this guy, right? They, we knew it. We knew it all the time. You know, they must have been ready to go, and yet Jesus says, wait. His word for them is wait. And it's not a word I think we like hearing a lot. It's not a word we like to hear in our lives to wait. There's nothing great about waiting. You know, waiting just means whatever you're trying to get to has been delayed. And yet Jesus tells them to wait. And the reason Jesus tells them to wait is because he knew something about them that's true about them, that's true about us, that really is true about everyone, and that's this. It's better to wait to be filled than to move forward on empty. And that's what Jesus was saying, and, that's what, and it's true for them, but it's true for us. It's better to wait to be filled than to move forward on empty. When Jesus started out his ministry, if you were to go back in the Gospel of Luke, he starts out by being in a worship service and sharing a passage out of Isaiah 61 where he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And what Jesus says at the very beginning of his ministry is, everything I'm about to do, all the ministry you're going to see me do is because the Spirit of the Lord is on me. 
and has anointed me for the work. So here's what Jesus knows about his disciples. That they can't do the work in their own strength. That they need the spirit of the Lord in them to do the work. So he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Because he gives them a job, but they don't have the ability to do it. And so he tells them to wait. And it's true of us, too. You know, there, there are things we would attempt in our own strength that we wouldn't be able to do. That we need more strength, more power than is within us. Yesterday, I was um, working on a project around my house, and I was using an air compressor and a nail gun. Anyone ever use those? Those are fun, right, if you use them right. They could be very dangerous, too. So I'm using one of these, right, and I take it out, I set it up, I get everything set up, get the compressor plugged in, get the nail gun plugged in, and I go to shoot the first nail in, I pull the trigger, shoot the first nail in, and this three-inch nail goes in the board about a half an inch. And I know exactly what's wrong. I plugged it in, but I forgot to turn the compressor on. So turn the compressor on, it charges up. You know that sound. Those of you that use them, right, you're just waiting, right? It's just going. I'm holding the gun. I'm waiting for it to stop. You know, finally hits 150 PSI, stops its noise. I put the nail gun to the board. I do the exact same motion I had done three minutes before. Simply pull the trigger, only this time that three-inch nail goes in the board completely and fully and sets itself in the board. I didn't do anything different. The only thing different was that compressor tank was now filled with air and was able to have the power to shoot that nail into the board. And I think it's very similar to us when we go about the work that God calls us to do, that you are sometimes attempting to do it with an empty tank. And so am I. And so God says, wait until you are filled with the Holy Spirit before you go about doing the work that he's called you to do. We don't like to wait. Our world is moving at a blazing fast pace. And yet there's a purpose to waiting because look what happens in Acts chapter 2. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 2. Jesus told them to wait and he tells us to wait and there's a purpose for it. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They waited and God sent the Holy Spirit because there was a job for them to do that they could not do in their own strength. And that's the second thing for us to keep in mind and to realize from this passage. You have a job to do, but you do not have the ability to do it. So you need to wait. You need to wait. You need to wait until God fills you with his Holy Spirit. When we attempt to do a job that we're not equipped to do, we usually end up messing it up. We attempt to do a job that we don't have the ability to do, we usually up getting ourselves into a bind, right? I remember I was thinking about times in my life where this has happened, and there were many, but let me share one. Uh, I, I, I could think of when we were putting the 
we had this idea for the cafe to put there out there. And some of you that have not been here, too, or actually, no, been here a while. It's been over 10 years since we put that thing in. But when we put that in, there was just a, before that, there was a brick wall just across there. And so you walked in, and you were either in the hallway or in the sanctuary. And we said, well, we need kind of an in-between space. We need a third space where people can kind of hang out and have a cup of coffee and, and buy JBQ treats someday to send them to nationals. And so we had this vision for a cafe, and I was kind of new as a, the pastor, and I thought, well, you know, we need this. What's the big deal? You know, I can do this. Uh, and, you know, we'll build a cafe. We'll, you know, we'll do that, and I'll do it. I've got plenty of time. What do I got to do? And, and so we, we got the wall taken down. We got the glass doors put in, and then we were going to, you know, finish it off and make it the way it looks today. And I got into it, and I thought, I can't do this. I'm not equipped to do this. I don't have the ability to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this. So I remember one afternoon taking uh, Steve Viola to lunch over at Bamboo in Bedford and uh, saying, Steve, I got myself into a bind. <laughs> I am attempting to do something I cannot do. I do not have the ability to do. And Steve and his grace uh, and mercy had mercy on me and uh, said that he would uh, take on the project, and he and Sharon took that on and did a beautiful job, and they were here like at nights putting that floor down, and, and it came out great. And Steve knew what he was doing. He had the ability. He was equipped. He had the tools. He knew all what he was doing. But when we attempt to do things that we don't have the ability to do, we usually end up messing things up. And this is why Jesus said to his disciples, wait, you got a job to do. You know you have a job to do. You just don't have the ability to do it. And so I need you to wait. Here's the truth about following Christ. Here's the truth about being a Christian that we all need to embrace, and that's this. God is always going to ask you to do things that you cannot do. You don't be surprised. God is in the business of asking people to do things that they cannot do in their own strength and in their own ability. If you look through Scripture, it's always been this way with God. I mean, why, why would you need God if you could do it all in your own strength? You just look through Scripture. We, we did a series on Abraham a couple months back. And if you look back at Abraham's life, here's a, here's a man that God said, I'm going to make you a nation, a nation that's going to have so many people, it's going to number beyond the stars of the sky. And Abraham is 100 years old and doesn't even have a kid of his own. Because God is always going to ask you to do things you can't do in your own strength. He takes a man named Moses who's living as a fugitive running for his life, and he said, I want you to go back to that nation that you're a fugitive from, and I want you to go to the leader of that nation, one of the greatest military powers on the planet, and I want you to tell them to release the slave force, my people, that's serving them. Because God's always going to ask you to do things that you can't do in your own strength. And then he asked that same Moses, now I want you to lead these up to 2 million people as they wander through the desert and provide for their needs and take care of them. Because God's always going to ask you to do things that you can't do in your own strength. He comes to a man named Gideon and he says, I want you to go into battle and I want you to go and fight. You're going to win this battle, but you're going to be outnumbered 100 to 1 in warriors. Because that's the kind of God is. 
That's the kind of God he is. He's always asking you to do things that you cannot do in, his own, in your own strength. Because if you can do it in your own strength, God doesn't get any glory for it. If you can do it in your own strength, you don't need God to do it. So he goes to a teenage woman, and he says, I want to use your womb, and the Spirit of God is going to come over you, and you are going to carry the Messiah and the Son of God into this world, because God's always going to ask you to do things that you can't do in your own strength. And he goes to this band of disciples, fishermen and tax collectors and zealots, pushed aside by society, no one important. And he says, I want you to build a community. I want you to build a church that's going to reach every tribe and every nation and every place on the planet for my glory. Just these few guys hanging around. And then he goes to you and to me. And he says, I want you to live a life of holiness and righteousness. I want you to live a life full of love and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, peace. I want you to live this life before me and before the world around you. I want you to forgive people who mean and do harm to you. I want you to love people who don't love you. Because God's always going to ask you to do things you can't do in your own strength. And sometimes we think, oh, I can do that, and God is asking me to do that, and I should be able to do that. No, 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 no. Just like Gideon and Abraham and Moses, God is asking you to do something that you don't have the strength to do. So he says, wait. Wait until you are filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can live this life that he has called you to live. But we don't like to wait. But you have a job to do, but you don't have the ability to do it. But when God gives his spirit, when God gives his spirit, here's what happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 uh, through the end of the chapter. I've read, we've read this chapter and preached on it many times at Mount Hope because this is what the church should look like. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. After they received the spirit and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling all their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And how did they live this life? How do they live a life of generosity? How do they live a life giving away their possessions to help others? How do they live a life of joy, living in each other's homes? How do, you say, that's not me. That's too hard. Yeah, because God is asking them to do something that's beyond their own strength. It's when they were filled with the Spirit that God gave them the strength to live this kind of life. 
And it's true for them, and the Holy Spirit, it's true for you. The Holy Spirit is given for empowerment for the job that you don't have the ability to do. And just as the Holy Spirit was given to them, the Holy Spirit is also given to you for the job that is beyond your strength and ability. The Spirit is given for empowerment for the job, especially when the job gets hard. That you and I need a filling of the Spirit for the job that God has called you to. Maybe God has called you to start a ministry. I talked to someone after first service on the way out. They said God had called them to start a church. And they've been praying about it. Maybe God has called you to be a missionary. Maybe God has called you just to go and share Christ with someone at your job that you know it's going to be very difficult to share Christ with. Maybe God has called you to love someone that's very difficult to love, to forgive someone that's very hard to forgive. I don't know, but I know God has called you to do things that are too hard to do in your own strength. And I know he's also promised to give you his Holy Spirit to do it for you. Let me look at one more passage this morning with you that I think brings this point home. It's in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 29. Acts chapter 4, verse 29, but let me give you the context. Let me give you the setting. Here's what's going on. Because some people, and here's why, I, well, let me, let me give you the context first. Now, the context is this. So Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Spirit. The church is growing. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking to uh, the temple. And there's a man that is begging for alms, begging for money. Just he's, He can't walk. He's lame. He's begging just for some money to get through the day. And Peter and, and John walk by him. And Peter says, look, I don't have any money, silver and gold. Have I none? But such as I have, I give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the guy does. He stands up and he walks and he's completely healed. And this causes a lot of attention. And it causes a lot of noise in the city. Because this guy, everybody knew him. And he had been doing this. He's over 40 years old. He hadn't walked. And now he's healed. And so now more people are coming to Jesus. And the religious leaders at that time and in that city who were not followers of Jesus were getting pretty upset about what was going on. So they, they uh, get Peter and John, they take them into custody, and they bring them in for some questioning, and they end up threatening them. And they say, look, you need to stop preaching in Jesus' name. And they give them all kinds of threats, and they can't really do anything to them physically right now because there are so many people in the city on their side. And if they do it, there'll be an uprising. And so all they can really do is, is kind of verbally uh, berate them, and, and they do um, and then they let Peter and John go, but Peter and John realized the lay of the land, that things just got hard, that things just got really difficult, that now there is opposition to them and to the work that's going on. So they go back to the uh, group of disciples, and they get together, and they have a prayer meeting. And in Acts chapter 4, they have a prayer meeting, and they pray to God, and in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, here's the end of their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness, with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
Here's what I want you to see from this passage. Because, and, and leave that passage up there for a second, if you can, John. Because I, I want you to see something from this passage. This passage was very important to me in understanding how the Holy Spirit works in our life. And understanding how the Holy Spirit works in Acts. And here's why this passage is so important. This is the same group of people that were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, this is the same group of people we just saw in Acts chapter 2 filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 4, they go and they pray to God and it says they are again filled with the Holy Spirit for the work that God had called them to. And why is that significant? Because some will say, well, when the Holy Spirit fills people in Acts, it just is, is synonymous with salvation. It just means another group of people has gotten saved. And, and I come to Acts chapter 4 and I say, well, the problem with that is if this is the same group of people and it is from Acts chapter 2, then somewhere between Acts chapter 2 and 4, they lost their salvation. But I don't think that's what's going on. I think there's something else going on. And what I think else is going on is they had now a harder job. They had more work that needed to be done. They went and prayed and their prayer is not, Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Their prayer is, God, help us to be bold in our witness. God, help us to stay strong in the midst of these threats. And God's response is to fill them with the Holy Spirit so that they can do that work that they're praying and asking God to help them do. And so what that tells me is there are times where I'm going to come up against something and I need to, be, I need to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, you get the Spirit in you at salvation. Yes, God's Spirit comes to dwell in you. And yet Paul also says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Amen. That we are constantly in need, especially when we come against difficulty, especially when we come against hard things that God has asked us to do, that we need that filling of the Spirit again. And too often we're trying to live the life God has called us to live in our own strength, in our own ability and our own intellect instead of waiting for the Spirit, instead of waiting for God's Spirit in our lives. See, God is going to ask you to do things that you can't do in your own strength because that's who God is. But it's not unfair because God will provide his Holy Spirit in you to do everything he's asked you to do. And so we ought to look at our lives and say, are we walking by the Spirit? Are we walking filled with the Spirit? And some questions to think about are these. If the Holy Spirit left our church, would anyone notice? If the Holy Spirit left your house, would anything change? If the Holy Spirit left your life, what would be different? What would be different? Because our lives ought to be different. There are hard things that God has called us to do, not even just as individuals, but collectively there are things that God has called us to do that we will not be able to do as a church without the Holy Spirit. And if we attempt to do them in our own strength, we're going to just mess things up. But if we attempt to do them by God's Holy Spirit, problems our world is trying to solve, you can't solve them just because you're a Christian. But with God's Holy Spirit filling you, guiding you, leading you, you and I can walk in the ways of God and work towards God's healing in the world around us. These questions lead to this. If nothing would change, it means you're moving forward on empty when you need to wait to be filled. 
that we, are you moving forward on empty when you need to wait to be filled? That we're trying to do the work of bringing people to Christ, reconciling to people to God on our own, and it won't work. It's the work of God and his spirit in us and through us. I'm going to ask our worship team to make their way back, and we're going to spend some time waiting. Because too many of us, I think, are trying at times to move forward on empty instead of waiting to be filled. Look, I understand it. It's like you. You know, look, it's just as simple as you're driving down the street. You see it. I see it. You don't want to pay five bucks a gallon for gas. I was out in California last week, seven bucks a gallon for gas. It's the only thing that made me feel better about five bucks a gallon. I felt like I was getting a deal. You don't want to spend 85, you're watching those numbers go up. You know, it's, it's, it's not funny when they're going so fast on the dollar side, right? And uh, 85, $95 to fill the tank. And yet you know, if you don't, you're not going to go very far on empty. And it's the same in our walk with the Lord. That if you and I try and live our lives in our own strength, even trying to do the things that God is asking us to do, we're not going to get very far in our own strength. That we need the Spirit. That we need God to fill us. And maybe this morning, you need God to fill you for the first time. Maybe you just say, God, I want you to fill me with your Spirit. But maybe it's like Acts 4. You've been filled with the Spirit. You've had a walk with God. You've had the moment at the altar. You've had that time in your past. You can point to it. But God needs to fill you today because you've got a hard work and you've got something God has called you to do that you can't do in your strength that you need God's Holy Spirit to do. And you look at the work and you say, God, it's too hard. It's too much. It's too big. It's too much of a burden. It's too much of a weight. I can't carry it. And God is saying, I never asked you to alone. I asked you to come and wait and be filled that I might help you carry that burden. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, Jesus said. Jesus says he brings a peace that passes human understanding. This comes by being filled with God's spirit. And so we've left some time at the end of this service and at the end of this series. We've kind of been building to this moment where we want to leave space. We want to leave space just for you to encounter God, for God to encounter you, for you just to wait and ask God to fill you with his spirit. So I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm just going to pray. And then these altars are open. They're always open during worship. You can always come and pray at these altars during worship and music. I want you to know that. But this morning especially, as we close out our service, I don't know what it is. Look, there's nothing magical about it. There's nothing, yeah, can I stay in my seat and pray? Yep. I don't know what it is. I know when I come and kneel at the altar. I know there's times often when God meets me. I don't know. I think when we do something with our physical bodies and worship God with our physical bodies and our physical actions, that that's a different act of worship and, and God responds to that. And so I, the altars are open. 
If you come and pray at the altar, someone will come and pray with you and pray for you and lay their hand on you and pray for you that God will fill you with his spirit. Also, Pastor Marvin will be on one side, I'll be on the other side. If you want, if you have maybe a request uh, particularly that you want us to pray for for you, Pastor Marvin and I would be happy to pray with you and to pray for you individually as well. Uh, and the team's just gonna lead us. We've got time, we've got space. You don't have to rush out of here. We can have time to obey Jesus' command to wait and ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us and fill us. Lord, I've done what I can do. I pray that it's the words have been your words and not my words. And Lord, we, we, we come to you now to ask you to do what only you can do. To ask you to just to minister. Let your spirit flow through this place. Let your spirit move in this place. Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts to you and what you want to do. Lord, help us not to quench the spirit. Help us not to get in the way of the spirit. Help us not to be distracted by the words in our head, in our heart, or in our devices but just to listen and hear your voice right now. Lord, I pray, God, as we come, Lord, that you, and we come and wait, that you would just fill us, meet us, encounter us with the mighty spirit of God. God, there is a job that you have for us to do, and I know many in this room feel overwhelmed because they know what you've called them to do, and it's hard. And they've been trying to run that race in their strength. Would you this morning just be generous and lavish your spirit upon your church? Lord, we come to you to do what only you can do. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name.